at a friend's house, and it would not be like the first time I had done this thing. It would be, you know, the 10th, 20th time. This would be part of my normal routine. But all of a sudden, something would come over me, and I would just feel overwhelmed by um, anxiety. And I would kind of have like a breakdown. I mean, there would be times where I would hyperventilate. I couldn't control myself. There would be times where I would just be like sobbing uncontrollably. And it's funny because now I realize that something was happening in me. But um, being the youngest child, I'm one of three. I have two older siblings. And my siblings are super normal. <laughs> like they're, very, they're very like normal Asian, you know, people like they were they were that they were very like well behaved they were very successful academically and still to this day that's the kind of like path that they walked and my path was very different than that and so my parents just thought like what's wrong with you basically like why are you so weird and they would often tell me when i would freak out about something or i would have a question about something they would just say these two things they would say one they would just say calm down, right? Like, why are, what's going on with you? Just calm down. And the other thing they would say all the time whenever I would ask them something is this, don't worry about it. You know, just don't worry about it. And I realize now that I have, this has been incepted into my brain, right? Because I have kids, I have two kids, and my oldest struggles with anxiety and I'll be dropping him off at school, doing something that he's done a hundred times before, and he'll freak out. And I'll be like, calm down. <laughs> right? He'll be like, oh, but, uh, you know, he'll say, like, Appa, are you going to come back? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to come back. Like, don't worry about it, right? Like, what's wrong with you? And I, have you ever done that, right? Like, somebody expresses some kind of fear or worry to you, and what you say is like, don't worry about it. Now, I realize that doesn't often work. Didn't work when my parents said it to me. It doesn't work when I say it to my son. Do you ever feel worried? Do you ever feel overwhelmed with anxiety? You know, maybe it's not a, a full-on panic attack, but you just feel like there are so many things to worry about. Um, I feel like that's right, and that's what's happening in the world. In fact, studies have shown that anxiety levels are rising year over year in this country. Um, in 2017, the, the APA, the American Psychiatric Association, they conducted a poll that said 36% of people said they were more anxious than they were the previous year in 2016. And then they did it again in 2018, and this time 40% of people said they were more anxious than they were the previous year in which they said that they were already 36% more anxious than they were the previous year. Like, I'm curious to see what people will say this year. Uh, approximately 40 million American adults, that's roughly 18% of the population, have an anxiety disorder. That's according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Uh, people worry about health, safety, finances, relationships, politics. That sounds about right to me. The question is, when we worry, what should we do about it? What can we do about it? Um, 
I think the world would say one thing and the Bible would say another thing. And so if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to try and look and see what God's Word has to say about this. Um, let's go ahead and open them up to uh, the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, we'll read all the way verses uh, 25 through 34. Um, and then we'll... we'll kind of talk about it piece by piece. So this is uh, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. This is God's word. And it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour of span to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So three things, okay? Two things that we can trust in and one thing we can, can do. Um, the first thing, trust that God is an utterly more capable king than you are. Okay, trust that God is an utterly more capable, more competent, more able, sovereign king than you are. See, one of the implications from the passage is that God is capable of taking care of the whole world, right? Jesus is reminding his listeners that God manages the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. God has designed plants and animals to be able to exist and survive in the world without our assistance, right? Like all of nature just kind of goes on, you know, it doesn't really need us. In fact, the only reason that some of nature needs us now is because we have messed it up, right? Because we have created a situation in which some of these animals need our help to pull them out of other things that we're doing to other animals. He states something similar elsewhere in Matthew. This is from Matthew 10, 28 to 31. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. It says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. He's, he's talking about, you know, sparrows, basically birds. This is like the cheapest offering that you could give at sacrifice. Right? And he's saying even the cheapest, you know, the kind of quote-unquote cheapest animal does not fall to the ground apart from the, the will of the Father. So God is capable of really managing everything in the world. He is 
He's a good king. He's a capable king. Now, why does that matter to us? Um, So there's this psychological phenomenon called the illusion of control. And what the illusion of control is, is it's the belief that we have influence over events in which we are powerless. So one example of this is, does any of you guys play like board games? Anyone play board games in here? Right, so one example of this study, it's called the gambler's fallacy. So the gambler's gambler's fallacy is uh, participants were kind of shown, so they're, they're playing dice, right? Like, like craps or something, or like, you know, like you're playing a board game, right? Like if you ever played Monopoly, or Catan, whatever, right? You know, you're like, oh, I really need a, I really need a, you know, a six or something. Like, I really need a 12. You know, I need a high number. Whenever they needed a high number, you know what they would do? They would throw the dice really hard. They would like shake it up and then they would like chuck it on the ground. And then whenever they needed a small number, it's like, I need a two. They would go like, they would go like this. <laughs> Just like gently throw the dice. It's like, oh, I need a two. You know, it's like, what does it matter how you throw the die, right? It doesn't matter. You have no control over how these dice are going to turn out, right? But something in your brain tells you, like, oh, no, I can control it, right? I'm, you know, and then some really deluded of you, right? Some of you guys, you go, I'm, no, I'm good at this. Right? Like, I'm really good at throwing dice. It's like, You're not good at it. This is totally random, right? Probability dictates. You have no control over this. And yet we... Just insanely believe, no, I can control this. I mean, the really crazy ones, we believe we can control what card is coming out next, right? It's like, I really need a five. You know, oh my gosh, it happened. It's like, you can't control that at all. And yet, for some reason, we believe we have control over these things. You know, people think they have control over a sporting event when they go watch it, right? You're not controlling it. Nothing you do is affecting anything that's happening out there. We often wrongly believe that if we simply had more control over the circumstances of our lives, our problems would be solved. Right? If people just listened to me more, right? I wouldn't have as many I wouldn't have as many things to worry about. If I had a little more money, if I had a little more time, if I had a little more freedom. And that's what causes us to worry. Oftentimes when we worry, the thing that we grasp at, the thing that we want more of is control. We think that that's the solution. If I had more control, I would have less worry. But think about this for a moment. Even if you had God's control, even if you had God's power and authority, right, what would you do with it? I mean, this is basically the plot of Bruce Almighty, right? <laughs> this is like... This is, this is basically the plot of the movie. But it's like, imagine, right? Like God just says, hey, here, you can have my power. You can have my authority. You can do whatever you want with it. Like you have the power of God all of a sudden, and the world just stopped operating like it does. Would you know how to rewrite the laws of nature? Would you know how to, what to do? So uh, Jan Ingenhaus, I think I'm saying that right. It's this Dutch-British scientist from the 1700s, right? So this person discovered photosynthesis. You guys know what photosynthesis is? Remember, like, eighth-grade science, right? Um, you know, s- somehow sunlight's involved and, you know, chlorophyll's involved, whatever, right? And it makes something, carbon dioxide makes oxygen, you know, whatever, something like that, right? Plants make food, basically, out of the sun. So this guy discovered that, Jan Ingenhaus, discovered photosynthesis. But you know what? God invented 
photosynthesis. Now think about it for a second. Isn't that crazy? Because we celebrate scientists who discover stuff. Right? Like scientists discover the things that God invented. Like the life cycle, the water cycle, the cell cycle, food chain, electromagnetic spectrum, right? migration patterns, weather patterns, sound waves, light waves. Right? Like Albert Einstein is a genius. He discovered the theory of relativity. God invented the elements of the theory of relativity, space and time and light. God manages the entirety of the universe. He weaves a better tapestry. He writes a better story, you know, than like Spielberg or Nolan or Shakespeare or Hemingway. God is the author of the script of life. And I know I'm saying a lot, right? But my point here is that God's not a little bit better at being in control of things than you are. He's way, way better. He's far better. He's utterly better. He is a far more competent sovereign than you or I. And so when we feel, like I just want to assure you of this, when you feel like you're losing control and that causes you to feel anxious, let me just assure you, it's okay to not be in control. It's okay for you to not fully be in control of the circumstances of your life. In fact, it's good for you to not be fully in control of the circumstances of your life. And it's very good for you not to be in control of any other person in your life. Whether that's your spouse, your kids, your parents, your friends. You're not good at, you know, you and I are not good at being that kind of king or queen or sovereign, but God is. And we should rejoice in that, not just accept it. Like, we should glorify God because of it. So that's the first thing. Trust that he's an utterly better king. Uh, Here's the second thing. Trust that God is an utterly more gracious king than you are even to yourself. Trust that God is an utterly more gracious king than you or I are, even to ourselves. Now again in verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He says, Are you not much more valuable than them? Um... Do you know what God named the birds? He didn't name them anything. (laughs) He just made them. And then he was like, Adam, here, you go in the garden, you name everything, right? Because you're in control here. You're You're in charge here. Like, you have dominion over the earth. You know, I want you to know that you're top dog, right? So I just made all this stuff. You just go name it. That's how little God cares for the birds, he didn't even name the birds. He's just like, whatever, you just, just, you just be out here, right? I'm sure he had some kind of name in his head, right? But didn't bother to tell us, right? And so, that, that, and yet, the Bible says he's going to, he takes care of them. Like, birds don't even work, right? Like, birds got a nine to five? No, they, they don't got something going on. They just live their lives. 
and yet somehow they're always finding food, right? Somehow they always hit my car, you know, like somehow they just can do whatever they want, right? And God takes care of them so that they can continue to exist that way. And his point here is, are you not, are you not, do you not realize how much more valuable you are to God than the birds? He says, why are you anxious about clothing? Verse 20, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They, kneel, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. You guys know Solomon? You know, King Solomon from the Old Testament who was like, had the craziest kingdom that like the Queen of Sheba came over just to check it out, just to be like, what's going on here? And he says, again, the flowers, they don't toil or spin. They're not working hard. God's just taking care of them. You are incredibly valuable to God. Um, I remember once I was, uh, I was preaching at this uh, VBS. And it was, uh, it was an orphanage in India uh, for children who had been diagnosed with HIV. Right? And so this was a really... This is kind of a crazy, you know, type of mission trip. It's not your typical, not the typical kind of thing that you go to. Um, and not everybody there, not everybody at the place had HIV. They wouldn't tell the children. Um, I mean, they wouldn't kind of like disclose that so that they could treat them all differently. And so they, they would try to keep them on the, the same kind of, I mean, they knew, the, the kids knew. They themselves knew. But they tried to treat everyone kind of the same. And... I remember we were, so we would be going through their files. We were like organizing their files, and I don't want to, I'm actually, I can't really disclose anything, but just hearing some of their stories and reading about their backgrounds, it was so like heartbreaking, you know, to know that they are put in this situation. And many of them were born, you know, with HIV. And to think that was just, for me, it was very overwhelming, I remember. And uh, I was getting ready to give this message at a VBS, which typically, <laughs> you know, in any other case, if I were giving a message at a VBS, what I would be thinking before is like, how did I get into this? Why am I doing this, <laughs> right? Like, you know, darn the elementary pastor who <laughs> like tricked me, you know, into doing this because I don't love, you know, I don't love kind of like preaching at a VBS. It's not like my, it's not kind of my thing. I've done it before. Um, but obviously in this case, that's not what I was thinking. I was praying outside. I was, I was crying and I was like, God, some of these kids aren't going to be here in a year. Like we're going to come back in a year and some of them aren't going to be here. And in fact, two of those children passed away, you know, after we left. And I was praying for these kids for their salvation. I was praying for God to love them. And it was almost like I was advocating for these children. And it was so ironic because God rebuked me in that moment. And he was telling me, like, do you think you love these children more than I love these children? Like, like what are you talking about almost like God was saying to me, like, I have loved them since before they existed. Like, I have known them. You've, you've been here for a couple weeks. 
like, and it made me, you know, think about how much God loves me and how much he knows me. Like, do you realize, do you realize that? Do you realize how much God cares about you? You know, I, I told you that my son you know, struggles with anxiety. And um, it's interesting because one of the things that, that I think bothers him the most, and I think this is for most kids, though, um, is that when he feels like I don't love him, you know, or he feels like I'm mad at him, you know, he'll say, like, you know, Appa, like, why are you mad? <laughs> he'll be like, oh, you know, Appa, why are you mad? <clears throat> and I'll be like, I'm not mad. Freaking little. No, like, like that's because I will be mad, obviously. It's like, why are you mad? I'm like, I'm not. Just go do it. Like, just go do what I said, you know? And, like, even though I, and sometimes I'll say that because obviously I'm, I'm bad. I'm a, I'm a bad father sometimes. And I'm sinful. And I'll do things like that. Um, and he'll say, like, Appa, don't be mad. And he'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, Appa, don't be mad. You know, I'm like, I'm not mad, right? And I see that when he feels that, when he feels like he doesn't, he doesn't have that from me, um, he responds in three ways, right? He becomes anxious, he becomes sad, and he rebels. Those are the, the three things that he does. And I realize when I see it in him, you know, kids, kids is just God's way of like showing you how wretched you are, right? Because it's like... Uh, you know, I mean, this also applies to, like, you know, your parents, the grandparents for the kids, because they also laugh at you when they see you struggle like this. But I feel like God is like, yeah, that's you. You know, when you think, when you have this sense, because that's, that's how I am. When I sin or when I fail or when I make a mistake, either intentionally, you know, through rebellion or sometimes it's just ignorance or, or uh, you know, selfishness. Right? My immediate reaction is not often to just go to God and to just be like, oh, like, I'm so sorry, like, I made a mistake, I repent. Right? My immediate reaction is to feel anxious. Like, I start to worry. And it leads often to, like, a guilt or a shame. Like, I can feel completely unworthy. Sometimes as just a man, you know, sometimes as a father, sometimes as a husband, sometimes as a pastor. Like, however it is, and to deal with that anxiety, that fear and that guilt that I feel, I can do one of two things. I can, the first thing I can do, and I think this is often what we do, is we try to convince ourselves that we're lovable. That's what I do. I convince myself that I'm lovable. I affirm myself. Right? I'm right, or I had a good reason to act the way that I did, or to say what I did, or to, to do what I did. This is... There's a word for this. It's called, it's called self-justification. Right? So when we find a way to justify ourselves, it's going into my own heart to forgive myself so that I can love myself. Or I can lean into the truth that despite what I've done, despite what I've said, despite what I think, God still loves me. God will forgive me. His love is enough to cover my sin if I simply confess and repent of it. And he doesn't run out of forgiveness ever. And his love is not something that needs to be proven because it's something that's already been proven on the cross. See, God loves us 
so much that he actually gave up his own son. So when we believe that, that he's both good and gracious to us, even when we're not to ourselves, we can also accept that God graciously and lovingly gives, he graciously withholds, and he graciously takes away. But in whatever circumstance, he is in control, and he is gracious. So I would say that's the second thing, trust that God is an utterly gracious king and that you are incredibly valuable to him. Here's the uh, third thing I'd say <clears throat> that we see in the text. Uh, seek first his kingdom. It's pretty simple. It's stated in, in plain terms there. Seek first his kingdom. Right? Verse 31 says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So you guys know who Dennis Diderot is? Um, there's this French philosopher named Denis Diderot, who lived mostly, most of his life in poverty, but that all changed in 1765. He, uh, he was uh, 52 years old when his daughter was about to be married, and he was totally broke, right? He had no money at all. Uh, the one thing that he had done was he co-founded and he wrote one of the most uh, comprehensive encyclopedias of the time. Right, so this guy has no money, his daughter's getting married, and he has no money actually to pay for the wedding or for the kind of the, the dowry, right? And so Catherine the Great, the Empress of Russia, she heard about this, and she offered to buy his library for a thousand pounds, which today would be roughly like $50,000, right? So this guy has no money, offered by uh, Catherine the Great $50,000 for his library, so he's like happy, right? So he's like, to celebrate my happiness, you know, my daughter's getting married, now I can pay for it. He acquired a new scarlet robe. So he bought a new scarlet robe, and that's when his whole life basically fell apart, right? Because he bought this scarlet robe, and it was beautiful, it was so beautiful, in fact, that he immediately noticed how out of place it seemed when surrounded by the rest of his common possessions, he said, this is his quote, there was no more coordination, no more unity, no more beauty between his robe and the rest of his items. So he felt the urge to buy new things. This is in the 1700s. He replaced his old rug with a new rug from Damascus. He bought beautiful sculptures. He bought a better kitchen table. He bought a new mirror to put above his mantle. And his old straw chair, he was like, oh, this thing's gross. I got to get a new leather chair. And his spending spiraled out of control. And then he ended up broke again. Now, <clears throat> this is called, uh, you may have heard this term before, it's called the Diderot effect. Right? It is when one, you get one thing. Right? It's like, oh, you buy a new TV. Right? And then you're like, oh, but it looks weird. Because <laughs> right? I have all this old stuff around my new TV. So you, I got to get a new TV stand. And he's like, I got to get an entertainment center. And he's like, I got to get 
surround sound, right? And then you put surround sound in your house and you're like, my couch looks old, so you get a new couch, right? And then you're like, now there's a matching coffee, you gotta get a coffee table, you gotta get a new dining table. Then you gotta move houses, because you're like, this house just isn't big enough to fit all my new stuff, so then you move. And it's just out of control, right? Like, this is kind of the world that we live in. Now, this doesn't just apply to material things, right? I mean, this could be can be material, it might be experiences. You're like, I went on this experience, so I gotta go on that experience. Right? My friends are doing this, so I gotta do this. It can be socially driven. You can say, everyone, you know, this is what I see on social media, and so I have to get with it and surround my lone beautiful Instagram posts, you know, with other beautiful Instagram posts. Right? That's just the Diderot effect coming into your life and just wreaking havoc. And if we're honest about it, this is a pretty empty life. We'll quickly find ourselves worried about things that we don't even really care about. We don't even wish we cared about them, right? Like you feel some need to log into some game and play every day? Why? Because you're not going to get a daily bonus? It's like, and I'm, all, I'm just speaking from experience because sometimes I've been into a game where it's like literally, it feels like work, but I'm still doing it every day because I'm just like, I don't know, I've already invested in it. You know, now I got to just, I got to keep doing it. When we seek to follow God first, I'm talking about first, we find peace. Psalm 4, 7 to 8 says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You've put more joy in my heart than they when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is from Joshua 1, 8. This is a famous passage. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. NIV says you'll be prosperous and successful. Now, just so you guys know, Joshua, the book of Joshua, they're about to go to war. They're about to conquer all of the, the Canaanite armies, you know, the Battle of Jericho and stuff like that. Like, that's all from Joshua, right? And before they go and go to war, here's what God says, right? He doesn't say, hey, go raise up a bunch of troops, right? He doesn't say, hey, sharpen a bunch of spears or like, make sure your sword skills are like on point. He says, go read the Bible. He says, don't let this book of the law, their version of the Bible for them, Like, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, Joshua. Like, you're going to lead these people. Make sure they all know the law and they keep it. Because then you're going to be successful in this war. Isn't that insane? It sounds wrong, right? Like, God, what are you talking about? Like, give them some weapons or something, right? Like, Like, give them a chance. But no, God just says, all you need is me. You got me. You don't need to worry about all that other stuff. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know what's interesting about this passage? It says, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about it. 
you know, let it be known to God. And then it doesn't say, and God will answer your prayers. Right? It doesn't say, whenever you're anxious, pray to God and God will answer you. It says, whenever you're anxious, pray to God and he'll give you peace. Even though nothing you pray about might happen. You might say, God, I really need a car right now. Like I need to get to and from work. Please give me a car. And you pray that to God. And God doesn't give you a car, but you know, you have peace about it. That's, I would say, more valuable than a car. The kingdom of God is simply shorthand for God's rule and reign in our lives and in the world. That's what it means to seek the kingdom of God. Seek to follow God, to live in faithful obedience. Do that first. Not second, not third, not at the end of the day when you're tired, not when you have a spare moment. Seek the kingdom first. Now, I'll close with just a couple couple things. Um, One, I would say this. If you struggle with anxiety, which I have for like most of my life, I'm going to give you some some practical things first, okay? Uh, One, say what it is you're, you're anxious about to yourself. Name it, right? Like call it out by name. Uh, second thing, speak it in the community, right? So I encourage you, if you're not like committed to a church, you know, commit to this church. I was going to make a joke and be like, come to my church, but no. (laughs) Rand was like, I don't want Rand to be mad. So Um, no, like, like commit to the community. Like that's that, that's very important, and it's really, you can't get through this kind of stuff without that. I would say speak your worry in the community. The third thing I would say is commit your worry to Christ. You know, and you've got to kind of do this in community. Like the, and the only reason I put the community before this, because obviously we need to do this in our own hearts, like on our own, but it's very difficult to do it on your own. You know, commit it to Christ. And then here's the fourth thing I would say. This is actually really important. It's something we don't often do. But part of seeking the kingdom first in this aspect when it comes to anxiety is hearing the worries of others. You know, because when we get into our own heads and we're all about, like, I'm all about myself and what I'm going through, that, that can quickly spiral out of control, right? Where you feel really isolated and alone and depressed. And, and trust me, I've definitely been there. And, and that's, not a, that's not a good place to be. That's not where you want to be, right? But when you are able to kind of hear what other people go through too, it helps, it helps to kind of open up and sometimes even discover what it is you're actually struggling with. And if you are struggling with anxiety today, I would just say know this, that God... He wants to be the capable and gracious king over your life. Like he can handle what you're going through better than you can. It's okay if you feel out of control. He loves you better than you love yourself. More than you love yourself. 
He's known you before you've known yourself. He knows you better than you know, <clears throat> you know yourself now. Trust his control and his grace so that you can seek his kingdom first and have peace in knowing that you are his precious child that he won't ever let go until it's time to see him face to face. Uh, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that you are such an amazing God. Lord, it's easy for us to forget when we're in the world and when crazy things are happening around us and it seems like there's so much going on in our lives that uh, we do not have control of, God, that it's just out of our hands and God, sometimes it seems like the world is conspiring against us, in fact. It seems like um, you know, it seems like we're all alone. But I pray, God, that you would remind us and that you would give us a sense that that's not the case. You are completely in control. God, in fact, you're the only one who is capable of being in control of everything, including our personal, individual lives. I pray, God, that you would help us to be convicted, God, to be humble enough to let you be in control of our lives, God, to let you be on the throne, not just of the universe, God, but of our hearts. Would you allow us, God, would you enable us, would you empower us to trust God, that you care for us so much more than really we care for anything than we care for ourselves. Pray for this church, God, that you would lead them in that conviction, God, that you would lead them into community as they struggle together, as they bear one another's burdens, as they love one another and so exemplify uh, the gospel of Christ, God, in doing so. Uh, we entrust it to you. We thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.